Hello and welcome. This is the Filmmakers Podcast and this is part two of our amazing chat with Star Wars editor and Monsters editor Colin Gowdy. Oh, so exciting. Um, so what really is exciting though is tomorrow afternoon at 1pm, that is Saturday, this is Friday by the way, uh, so tomorrow is Saturday, we have the world premiere of A Serial Killer's Guide to Life at Fright Fest at the Prince Charles Cinema. Uh, I produced that movie and myself, Staten Cousin Row, Poppy Row, and so many of the cast and Kate Braeburn uh, and all those kind of wonderful people will be down there. So come down, say hello. If you're not doing anything tomorrow, come down to London. Uh, come down to England. Hey, where are you? If you're not far, hop on a plane. Why not do it? That is tomorrow. I'm super excited. I can't wait for people to see this film. Uh, it's already been picked up by Arrow Films. The trailer is available. Do go see that. And also, the Make Your Film event, part five, is literally under two weeks away. It is September the 3rd at Theatre Delhi. We sold out last time. We're already well over halfway to selling those tickets. So do get them now. We have uh, a third guest announced. I'll announce that on Tuesday. But uh, two guests so far we have got is Anthony Woodley. He's the director of The Flood starring Lena Headey. And we have producer Leon Clarence. Uh, he's the exec producer of films such as Hampstead and Birdwatcher and The Boy Downstairs. Uh, and he is the exec producer uh, and producer of the Netflix show from the Wachowski Sense 8. Uh, he's worked with actors such, of, uh, such as Elizabeth Olsen, Edward Norton, Brendan Gleeson, Alice Eve, Sam Worthington, Aaron Paul, Tuppence Middleton. Oh my gosh, the list goes on. You'd be a fool not to get down there September the 3rd. Um, and even more exciting than that is next week's episode, this Tuesday, is with the writers, yeah, that is right, the screenwriters of A Quiet Place. I'll let that sit there for a second. Uh, their film, Haunt, is playing at Fright Fest today. If you are seeing that, you are in for a treat. I saw it at Popcorn Frights Film Festival, and it was amazing. These guys are brilliant, and they've agreed to come on the podcast, and I can't wait to record that tomorrow. I'm so super excited. Uh, they're going to deep dive into how they wrote A Quiet Place and their brand new film, Haunt. That is on Tuesday. Get ready. It's really exciting. Anyway, for now, here is part two of our podcast with Colin Gowdy. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey, and if you like this, which I know you will, give us a tweet. Give us a nice review on iTunes. Do it. Support us. We love you. Speak soon, everyone. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Well, this Tuesday, but it's funnier that way. Enjoy. So, talking of Star Wars, this is a great Yay! segue. Well done. Um, it's it's the, the process then from Monsters uh -huh. of You, carrying on working with Gareth. Yeah. He gets Star Wars. It brings you on. Tell us that story. Tell us the process there. Um, so, um, what was interesting about that was, obviously, they wanted an editor who um, had cut a movie that had cost $200 million. Which wasn't me. Sure, yeah. <laughs> sure. This Probably is a big uh, <laughs> So, so, um, uh, so they were going to have in their their editor, and one hates to use the word studio editor because they're not studio editors. They're brilliant editors. You yeah. know, they just happen to work for big studios. But they were always going to have somebody who was approved by Gareth, but who had worked on that kind of scale movies. Mm -hmm. Gareth asked uh, me if I would come in, um, and that was 
September 2014, so almost a year before principal photography, if I would come in and cut a version of the film using shots from other films so that he could have a kind of a mood reel. You know, these days yeah. people do like mood trailers yeah, and do, things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So, But it was to do that for the entire duration of the film. But they didn't have a screenplay. They only had, like monsters, they had a story outline. Right. Um, which I got to read in a locked room kind of thing. Wow. And then take that away with my head full of, you know, what's that? And this is. I and mean, then, we yeah. all know what happens then, in it. It's not much of a spoiler. So then um, uh, I would then start ripping films and um, I scored it all with John Williams' original score. Beautiful. And also I had access to the Lucasfilm sound archive. So I, every time <gasps> somebody was firing a machine, so I basically was like into cutting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was into cutting Black Hawk down with uh, Return of the Jedi because you've got Stormtrooper firing, you know, for the battle on Scarif right. with the rebel troopers. So I just replace, you know, the machine guns with laser blasts. It's obvious. Right. So you do all that sort of stuff. And uh, I'd have an assistant summer. She was next door with her avid. And I just occasionally run in because I needed a shot of a vault door closing. Right. right, and I'd run in and I'd go rip War Games. There's a shot in War Games <laughs> where Matthew Broderick runs into the vault and the door closes. Yeah. So yeah. rip that, and she'd go, "How do you know all this?" Yeah. And I'd go, "Because I spent my youth watching movies. <laughs> you know, yes, totally misspent youth." So I'd think shot by shot by shot what shots I needed okay. to build up a two-hour film. And Gareth came in and he said, "If it's over two hours, don't bother pressing play. I don't want to see it because he wanted to get a film that was under two hours." Right, and it was, I think. One hour fifty, something like that. So, yep, yeah, it's good. We're good to go and press play. And he watched it, and he said that is the most surreal thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but it completely works, and it was really useful. That. And the idea was he wanted it purely for himself, and purely to see a style thing and a mood thing, and how long you could sustain a shoot out, and how long you need for dialogue scenes mm-hmm. and things like that. And um, uh, he said actually now that I've seen that I really want the writer to watch it I want the DOP Greg to watch it and Mm. it's so useful Mm. so that was effectively how he got me through the door was to do that it was a three month gig and I thought I was going to be out the door after that and then you know I had a conversation with Pippa Anderson had a post at Lucasfilm and she said we'd like you to stay on and you know work with the other editor and um, you know cut the movie so then wow. I actually started before that we had then another seven eight months doing all the previews and all the storyboards mm-hmm. so I cut all of that as well so by the time we actually got to Rush's uh, which was when Jabez Olsen who was Peter Jackson's editor uh, Jabez came in uh, by then I'd already cut the movie twice yeah. <laughs> in the mood version and the uh, previous version and storyboards version wow uh, and Just, then the new script arrived and so it was a whole new version new so version. Uh, Jabez was cutting that and I would because um, the way Gareth shot a lot of material because I'd worked with Gareth before what Jabez would get me to do is like give him the highlights reels and I'd ah, say there's, there's no point looking at the rushes because anything that's really Edward's good filter. is in this yes. yeah that was the Edward filter yeah. and then there are other times when Jabez would say oh the scene on the beach can you yeah. just cut that from scratch yeah. you know and so he wouldn't even you know and obviously he would go then and he'd do his pass on it mm-hmm. and his cut on it etc um, and then it just evolved over the next two years that I, whereby I was kind of given more and more responsibility mm-hmm. and just cutting stuff from scratch that nobody ever recut so mm-hmm you know kind of and people came and went and came and went and and mm. i just never went stay, 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 stay there the two and a half years how did you time. did in the uh in, in but the i think I did, days, I, and i think around um yeah. editing places you just yeah, yeah, it totally places. was and because and, and, uh, john gilroy came in yeah. mm. as well at the end john was in the about 
four months, I think, at the end. Uh, five months. Sorry, to- Tony. Um, Tony Gilroy was the Tony writer was that came in, and then John Gilroy, Roy, his brother, oh, was the right. editor. Oh, okay, no, yeah. sorry, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, wow. so as oh, many Gilroys. And, wow. Yeah, Get out there you there. go. Sorry. So, uh, and obviously they've got a great relationship because yeah. they... Uh, Thunderborn stuff mm-hmm. together and you know mm-hmm. Michael Clayton all that um, but what was really interesting was that film really was I think the the in editorially the product of three people's input mm-hmm. you know um, and it was and I don't I actually I had co-edited movies previously but not for quite a long time um, and it was brilliant because I would look at a scene that I'd cut and then I'd see John do a pass on it and I'd think oh that's genius yeah. that uh. is genius and it might be just one trim you know, mm. but you'd think, brilliant. And it is that thing whereby, and the same thing, he would give me stuff back and he'd go, can you cut that down? And yeah. st- you know what I mean? So, um, but- I mean, you don't strike me as a precious person. I think that's I the thing. You can't, can't have be. an ego. You can't be. If you've got an ego, also, I think- You're editing Star Wars. I know. It was, <laughs> like, it was a yeah. win-win. And I really, I really like Jabez and I really like John, mm. you know, and uh, so that was good. Mm. So what was the process then when you get the footage in? So, yes. so now you've gone past the, uh, you've done the mood reel, you've done the previews, now you get the actual footage coming yes. in you're over the moon elated yes. by the fact that you're working on so how do i yeah how approach what, what, a scene how do you approach a scene how okay. do you when so it comes for instance, in so instance, so a scene and a lot of my stuff um i think if you looked at rogue that my biggest contributions by far were the dialogue scenes mm. a lot mm. of those are completely me with a bit with you know yeah final passes by other people course, and stuff but, but uh, so, for instance, the scene when Jin is watching the hologram yes. of, you know, her dad sure. with Saw Gerrera standing there. And I remember putting that together and looking. So first thing is that I do is get my assistants to do the line string, which is industry standard. And I love it. When I don't have an assistant, I do that myself. But it's brilliant. On a Star Wars film, you don't have to. So I listen to all the takes. I like, so I work out the rhythm of which is the best performance. I base it on that. Um but then internally, in terms of how you're editing that scene with the other, which is the approach of the Death Star, there was a point in the dialogue when she say, when, when he says, I'm thinking of you and where you are now. And I remember at that point thinking, where is she now? Yeah, She's underneath she the now? Death Star. The Death Star is about to fire on her. The Death Star is about to fire on her. And... Um, that's you, we've got to cut to that, right? Got yeah. to. Which right? at that point we, we wasn't scripted wasn't in that the script, way. I imagine, yeah. And it was like, that's your linchpin. Once you know that you've got to hit that cut after that line of dialogue, then all the other intercuts have to find their own place within the scene because that's the one immovable spot. Mm. So, and I remember, like on that scene, as an example, that was a moment of hurrah. Yeah, you know, okay. there's a sweet spot. Yes. everything else is going to flow in and out of that. Um, and I mean, the other thing on Rogue was um, the cast. I mean. Yeah. Felicity, amazing cast. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And Diego, amazing. amazing. So you were spoilt for, you know, the good takes because right. they are so brilliant. And my thing on editing, the same was the same on Monsters, it's always lead with the strength of the performance because mm. everything else kind of falls into place. Mm. It really does. But if you don't believe the acting, you don't believe anything. Mm. If you believe the acting, you'll believe anything. Because yeah. you think about the movies that we all love, yeah. you know, I'm sorry, Marty goes back to do what with his mother? <laughs> but we love it yeah. because the acting's there, the performance is there, and yeah. that's why it works. You see those same plot points with badly acted, mm-hmm. you don't believe it. Yeah. So for me, it's always find the good performance first. 
And that's your line yeah. string would do that. So, so yeah, that's the way to do it yes. now. It didn't used to be, obviously, yeah. but that is it's the much it's yeah. the it, it's the fastest way. Yes. To find which that. to clarify for people listening is is when you find the same line and you put uh, them all together yes. and it's every single version of that yes. line. And on the Avid now, there's a way you can actually do it with it, it synchronized called script sync and you can literally click on that line on the pdf on your avid and it will play that every version of that line whoa wow premiere's got some updating to do it yeah. hasn't it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's you cool. sat in our so, bedrooms going this yeah. day well, i've got yeah, to skip through yeah, them all. yeah. <laughs> wow. that's the joy of that yeah. so again your assistant will line that all okay. up um and in terms of sort of was there anything from Lucasfilm themselves, Star Wars themselves, that said it has to be cut a certain way, no. has to look a certain way, from, from your side of it? No. it pe- every single person working on the film is always trying to make the best film. So regardless but, of whether it's a Star Wars film... Didn't matter who, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, regardless of anything, no but whites. on that film as well. But I mean, I do, I mean, I do remember there was, there was when we were doing, um, we were doing some rewrites and stuff, or Tony was, we had storyboards drawn up. And screen grabs and all sorts of things, and we were trying to explain it. He was explaining to Kathy how the story was going, and I remember he was. It was the third reel, and we got to a certain point, and Tony just looked at me because we'd been working really closely, me and Tony. And he went, "I forgot what happens next." <laughs> and then I'm like, "Oh, now I've got to carry on acting this film out, film out in front of Kathy." <laughs> 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 slightly, sur- slightly surreal moment. Like Tony would give me pages, and I'd read the pages, and Tony would be the first to admit that his knowledge of Star Wars was not at the level of geek. Mm. So he right. would write things sometimes and he'd hand them to me and he'd set pages and he'd say, um, does that all make sense? And I'd go, yep, 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 brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But you can't do that because in a Star Wars universe, that is not something that's ever been set up. We've There's a different way of stormtroopers to do this or that or with their helmets or mm. whatever. Sure. And he would go, oh, okay, great. And then he'd he'd adjust it based, he'd, I'd do a little Star Wars pass, if mm. you like. Is that because then, you no, were a big geek in terms of- Because I'm a complete geek. I'm not Star Wars quite to, to your level of geek, but I, I don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm, How I'm, can we test this I'm theory? Not, I know, <laughs> I know I'm not, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly the level of geek that, that the general audience would be. Yes. That had seen okay. all the other movies repeatedly since I'm sorry, they how were, many you know. R2-D2s do you own? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is a lot. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay, you stole them, uh, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, so that would be good. And then obviously it would go off to other people. And obviously, yeah. like, you know, the props department would know the props geek level and yeah. the costume. Mm. Everybody there is a geek to but, some degree. I was editorial geek. Right. You know, and Gareth's geek. So he would never get past Gareth. So right. I do remember once in a meeting, <laughs> we had a meeting and uh, it was very early on and it was designs for um, the t- turrets firing uh, on, um, I think it was Edu, it was when the X-Wings were coming yeah, in and attacking yeah. the platform. Yeah. And this, we were in this meeting and uh, they said, do you want round turrets or square? And Gareth said, round. And I went, no, because that's no. rebels have round turrets and yeah, the yeah. Empire, Empire have. And Gareth was like, everybody, this is Colin. And I said, listen, uh, that's fine. You choose your round turrets and you answer every fan letter oh, yes. that comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we got square turrets. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, I, mean, I think actually, I mean, maybe it's the same in any film because, you know, uh, taking on something like Star Star Wars, which you know, people live and breathe and obsessed by, mm-hmm. and it's popular mm-hmm. culture, and even people that well, have never seen religion. a film, yeah, yeah. Yes. no way, it's a religion, yes. yeah. Um, but I guess Rogue One, because it was the first sort of standalone yes. film, first a Star Wars story, did that feel freeing? Was there a different 
you know, because, for example, you know, taking out, starting with a scene before the title. That and, was Gareth. And, 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 uh, and, and titling planets and yeah. locations. Yeah. yeah, that was... I watched this film going, this is not Star Wars, but it is Star Wars. It's really know? interesting that it worked. So I'll backpedal slightly and then answer that question mm. with another example. So there was a, there was a moment when uh, we were always trying to cut the film down. The film was too long, trying to cut it down, trying to cut it down, trying to get it down. And the there's a shot in the movie... And it used to go all the way through the the, the rebel hangar, uh, and there was a dialogue scene, steady cam shot, dialogue, 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 dialogue. And it was an amazing classic Gareth shot, and it ended up on R two and C three PO. And the first three quarters of that scene all went because we no longer needed it because yeah. we'd done it a different way, right? Mm. And uh, we're trying to keep it down. So basically, all that shot was was R two and C three PO watching the. Ship's mm. taken off. Mm. And there was, I was sitting there, and Ali, the producer, was sitting there, and Kathy was sitting there, and Tony, I can't remember us, Gareth. And then, you know, and there's like, um, and I think it was Ali or Kathy. It was Kathy. Kathy said, you know what? We don't actually need that shot. We could lose it for, to save time. Yeah. And I went, oh, no, 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 because that's the only shot of yeah. R2 and C3PO yeah. in this film. And you will get such. Big fan points for that, yes. and I, as a fan, yeah. love that moment. And you need to know why and, they're on the ship. Yeah, yeah and I think hope, that that's so. it's it's a beautiful moment mm. for any Star Wars geek, mm. and, and it's it's really good. And then uh, and then uh, Ali said, "Oh no, seriously, just lose it." And Kathy went, "We should listen to Colin on this." And I thought, "Boom, oh, I'm here brother, for a reason. There's a reason why I'm here." And and um, <laughs> and because she knew that that the you know you've got to. Yeah you know, make these films for the fans as well as yeah. for the general audience, but you can't make it exclusively for the fans. Mm. So sometimes they hate stuff and the general audience loves stuff. Mm. So it's that, what is the compromise there for the modern audience versus the traditional audience? Yeah. And um, so, and also, so going back to your point about the beginning, mm. there I was the, I was the, I was the traditionalist and mm. I'm saying to Gareth, mm. we've got to start with the crawler and we've yeah. got to have this. And Gareth said, no, let's just, smashing yeah. in really hard and try it yeah and that's what we did and i'm still going but it's not a star wars yeah. movie because right. you need the and, and everybody loved it I and I, I was terrified no, until right. we first screened yeah, that movie like, <gasps> and the first time we real audience or in front of star wars no, the first time we the first time we screened that movie for an audience that weren't people working on the film was four thousand mm. people at the premiere Serious? There's yeah. no test screen. No, none. You can't test screen a Star Wars oh, movie. Wow. I suppose you can't, um, and so the fir- it was the that was the first time we oh, knew. Shit. That was the first time we knew if anybody liked our film. Well, because yeah, what happens if they don't at that point? You haven't then done any. Then you sneak out. And <laughs> <laughs> take your name off it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I genuinely thought by then that we'd made a film that people were going to love. Yeah, you know, because when we were we were uh, doing the prints at IMAX and the laser 3D versions and all those, and each day somebody else another IMAX technician would be in the screening with you which is always good because it's always good to watch your movie with a new audience mm. but by then it was like to like, really change anything but it would end and I'd say to them good and they'd go oh my god amazing and so that was like phew because you got no yeah. investment in this mm. you know and that was the tiny little glimmer that people right. it was going to work yeah. but yeah the first test screening was 4,000 people at the world premiere <laughs> and you were working up until the day before. Yeah, I was at the IMAX lab the day before doing the print. <laughs> well, how come? Tell us about that. What what happened? Oh, be, just because on all that's that's traditional with all movies. Right. That, that when it's that bigger release, because you're doing the grading, the three D, because you have to do like the three D laser, the three D xenon. You have to do the 
IMAX film print because there are still 20 cinemas in the world that screen it on 70 film. 70 millimeter. 70 mil, mm-hmm. yeah. So you're doing that as well. Um, and because of editorial changes mm-hmm. and because of the process and because of VFX. I mean, we would, the first time I was seeing the final layer Tarkin shots were being dropped in, you know, Second, as I sat in IMAX. And they were, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's normal. Mm. Right. You know. But you didn't know if it was going to... You know, they would look great on the big screen like that. I mean, you not till I saw them in the IMAX. Because yeah. at the IMAX, you're, the you're IMAX. so I, you're to, when you do your grading review, you're sitting in the IMAX oh. with your colorist who's sitting next to you, and you have the best two seats right behind. It's dead center. Yeah, right behind the podium thing. It's the liner. Like I remember one day somebody came in and sat in the colorists and mine seats, and, the, uh, and she chucked them out. Of course, <laughs> she was like, "No, you go sit somewhere else because yeah. Colin and I have to sit here." Yeah. Um, yeah. Best seats in the house. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's that almost that trust thing, isn't it? Because, you know, Gareth and everyone else is off probably doing the whole PR, the responsibility of thing. And like, you need, you need. Gareth was in doing all sorts of VFX Press, reviews. Yeah. Oh. No, this is before he's doing, he was still doing VFX reviews. He was doing the general release print mm. grade. Mm. So that's all going on simultaneously. So you need to know that you're there. We were all working. Know, the, the reason I was down the IMAX was nobody else had the bandwidth to do it. Right. You know, John was up at the ranch still doing cuts. Um, you know, Gareth was in a grade. Mm. It was like, Colin, can you fly down to LA for a week? And I stayed for a month. Because <laughs> once I arrived, they said, you will stay and do the film print as well as the laser print. Right? I mean, you will and stay like, and do this. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you got to do all I literally that. had to phone a friend in oh, uh, this, San Francisco and say, can you come down with a suitcase of clothes? Because <laughs> <laughs> I flew with a week's clothes. I need my kilt for the premiere. Can you fly it down? Yes. And they did. Wow. <laughs> they drove it down. That's, <laughs> so, so That's a great um, photo of you on IMDb oh, with thank the kilt. You. Yeah. Yeah. Had to do it. Had to do it. So what did you learn and then doing Star Wars, I suppose, from the difference between that and Monsters? What, what, oh, okay. So, yeah, that's really good question because the... What I learnt was that everything that's useful on a low budget environment helps you on a big budget environment. That's the first thing. Mm. Um, it meant that I could incorporate all my low. I'm so used to in the edit suite because I've spent my career working on really low budget things, and so you do grab the camera yourself. You do do an insert shot. You do shoot a temp version on a low budget film. But I did exactly the same on Rogue. I, I remember at one point walking out into the corridor and got my assistant and I've got my iPhone and I'm filming my assistant. I'm going, okay, stop and turn and wave and now turn and walk back to the right. Mm-hmm. And he did that and I sent that to Pinewood for them to shoot that with um, Galen as he's walking on <laughs> the platform with the scientists for that scope shot, yes. the sniper shot, yeah. because the timing was wrong on what they did on the original shoot to how the story now was. Right. So I did it, made sure it worked, and then sent that version down and said, "Can you match that?" Right. So, Brilliant. but that's a low budget. That comes from my low budget world, mm, of course. Yeah. And so I'd do that, and I remember at one point I'd wanted a stormtrooper to fall off of the gantry, so I got my twelve-inch stormtrooper yeah, bowl, nice. and I stop frame animated him in my edit, and then I sent that off to ILM, and I went, "Can you do that?" And and then I think that we didn't use that shot in the end of the film, so it's what's not. But it, I was constantly <laughs> doing things like that, mm. and I remember at one point we, I had all my little toys on the floor in the edit and mapped out Scarif and. Where, how could they run from here to there and I'd literally try and work out block things that way and then have discussions with previs and then previs would do it properly and then mm. ILM would do it more properly yeah. um, but it's 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 getting into that mindset it was the fact that I was used to on low budget films trying to 
um, steal a part of the shot, like reframing on a shot, yeah, yeah. eliminating a character. Can I do a reframe? How big a reframe? It's lots of shots reframed on on Rogue, mm. um, where we're pushing a character like out. Continuity. To, to remove a character right. who's no longer in that scene oh, because right. we put them okay, in a wow. different scene. Right. Oh, so because yeah. we were doing things like that, it's like if we do yeah. that, we could, but how much of this original shot can we salvage, which has got, you know, 100 extras in it? Beautiful well, shot. And we shot at 6.5K and we're mastering in 4K. Mm, so. so let's crop in mm. and we can do that. And those are all techniques from my low budget days yeah. of what can I salvage and then show that to the writers and say, look, we can use all this dialogue without having to reshoot and then you can rewrite into that. So Tony would write dialogue that would match into those things. So mm. it was all quite jigsaw put together. Really. It was it's similar because obviously we do this quite a bit in in our films, and I, I imagine you did a low on budget. On much bigger budgets. Yeah, on much bigger budgets than Star Wars, <laughs> we work on. Uh, is you steal a little bit from just before action? Yeah, oh, and all after. the time. We still doing that on oh, Star Wars. Oh yeah, right. Oh. All the time, right. yeah. How Best performances of, sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, they're not encouraging. And particularly for people who are not your lead Leads. cast. Yes, because yes, it's people who are mm-hmm. running around with machine guns and things like that. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, mm. you might find the absolute best moment is before the clapperboard's been whacked in. Gary Marshall. Although Gareth doesn't use clapperboards, so... Oh, that was uh, good for you, Very rare. Oh, God. <laughs> so, did you see? He, he didn't use clapperboards on monsters. Doesn't use, didn't use clapperboards on monsters. No, clapper loader for a start. Yeah. Um, and he didn't want to use them on on Rogue. And so some shoots on Rogue use boards, like, because there's obviously second unit and stuff going on as well, because we've got multiple units shooting. Yeah. One of the things that Gareth had was he had an iPad that Werner, who was um, this technical genius at Pinewood, worked for Luxel, he, he rigged it up so that Gareth could get the feed from any other unit. Oh. So he would be filming main unit, and yeah. then it would be uncut. And when they were restressing and resetting and remeasuring the you know inches for the camera and all that, Gareth would get the iPad and quickly review the shots that were either being filmed live on the other stage or had just been filmed. He would pull up those wow. yeah. uh, uh, thumbnails, look at them, review them, call through to them and go, okay, can you do it with a quicker pan to the right or a quicker tilt up and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So um, so you've got the absurdity of that kind of expenditure yes. versus the, you know, let's use a 12-inch doll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it must be amazing to see Gareth's journey as well with you, you know, mm-hmm. and see from where he's come. Like you said, you expected it anyway, but that must have been amazing to It was. And watch. I didn't get to do Godzilla. So obviously he yeah. had done Let Frog ahead of me because you know leapfrog mm-hmm. head because up until then i was much more experienced than he was and then uh. after that i was still much more experienced in terms of the fact i'd made you know a lot mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of hours of finished films versus his whatever it was six um <laughs> but he suddenly directed a 160 million dollar movie mm-hmm. so he knew that side of things which i only knew from hanging around with friends on those kind of movies and sure. discussing those sorts of things. But I'd never been at that edge. So we were then swapping, you know, and it was Gareth that said to me, it's the marathon, not a sprint. Mm. And that was the two and a half years. And that was absolutely right. Two and a half years is a long yeah, time. Yeah, it was 27 months, so whatever mm. that is. Yeah. Mm. And they were full on. That yeah. was, they were long days. Mm. Yeah. Wow. You know, seven days a week. I think at one point... Uh, one of the producers said to me the other day he said I checked my diary and there was a point when the 26 weeks you and I didn't have a day off mm. and these were not 
eight hour days even no these are days. proper days Full. and this is the thing a lot of people forget with filmmaking is that it is it's uh, you don't yeah. stop no. you very rarely get no. a breather and that's, that's why you know when you're thinking about that that script that thing to make you've got to love mm. that script because that's what's going to keep you going if there is a script oh. yeah <laughs> keep concept. you alive you've got to love yeah. the project yeah. that's the, you've got yes. to love the project yeah. I always it was funny before I did Monsters I always used to say to people the most important thing of all is always the good screenplay Mm. Uh, I remember I did Holy Cross, which was a film for the BBC TV movie. And um, Mark Brazell was a director and it was his first really big thing. And he, again, it was the therapy session before shoot. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, look, this script is so brilliant that if we just turn up, it will be a good film. It will be a good film. If we play at the top of our game, which is what we always want to do and aspire to do, it will be an award-winning, brilliant film. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did, and it was a multi-award-winning film. Um, And I was always the script, the script, script, performance, performance, performance. Mm. And then when I did Monsters, I was like, script's irrelevant. (laughs) It's the story. story. It's the story, Mm. not the actual screenplay and great cast. How, how satisfying to as an editor and you know to, to be a part of that writing process and, and you, know, you see you watch the film you think this film exists because of the edit editorially it works obviously of many other facts as well but like that's what brought it all together it must be a really rewarding thing to watch films like that versus something that was more conventionally scripted and, and made in that way yeah must absolutely be a- I mean I think Monsters is for me my career highlight in terms of um, I genuinely believe that my input to the finished film mm. was so much more than it's been uh, on anything else. You know, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's the way I, I mean, feel about was... it because Rogue I was a tiny part of a huge, brilliant machine mm. and I felt honoured to be allowed into that mm. world uh, and to be allowed to play with those toys. Mm. Um, and the the film with Mitch that I've just finished, the show, I'm so proud of that movie. Um, but it's a screenplay by Alan Moore. Yeah, so, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be sitting there going, what we should do is rewrite this scene and reshoot it. Because totally. that is just, you're not going there because <laughs> you don't need to. Yeah. You yeah. know, what was interesting about the show, in fact, was that we did cut it down. And originally our idea was we never were going to cut a single line of Alan's. But then we showed Anna a longer cut and we talked about the fact that we might like to cut it down because the producers wanted us to. Mm, we then And Alan kind of gave us carte blanche but obviously with each cut we would then get him back in and have another screening and then have we taken it too far and it would be like I really want you to put that back in and mm-hmm. you know and it was it's his film you know in terms of the story so that would go back in mm-hmm. but it what we were not sitting there rewriting no. sure so stories key. we were sitting stories there vital, compressing yeah but with monsters it was a complete rewrite yeah 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 completely yeah. so some advice then for uh directors screenwriters producers working with an editor mm-hmm. any advice you can give them and what would help them at this stage of their careers um that's a really good question um i think okay so there are three there are there are three kinds of directors um there is the director that comes in and says i want you to cut here and then right. i want you to cut to this shot and then i want you to cut to that shot coen brothers and mm-hmm. then there's the kind of director that comes in and says, just put it together. 
and they'll come in and they'll watch the first cut of the film they'll go how long is it and you'll tell them and they go how long is it meant to be for our transmission slot you know 90 minutes <laughs> and then you go okay and they go okay so we're four minutes over take out four minutes and you go what do you want to take out they go take out whatever you want then they come back and they see the film and then they say if you took out the wrong four minutes I'll tell you and then they watch them and they go it's fine send it off for a neg cut or to you know online mm-hmm. um, and then the directors that's the middle ground which are the ones that come in and it's a complete collaboration. Now, those are my favorite sure, because they give you direction, yeah. but they allow you free reign to come up with ideas. Now, not all of your ideas as an editor may work, but at least give your editor free reign to show you those ideas. I think the worst thing a director can do is shut down other people's ideas, but as DOPs being it, be anybody, sound recordist, mm-hmm. actors, you know, costume designer, runner. You mm-hmm. know, if you shut down the ideas, you're limiting the potential. You have to know the good ideas from the bad as a director. Uh, and the same is true with your editor's bad ideas. And your editor may have many bad ideas, mm-hmm. but they might have some really good ones as well. So I think it's give the editor free reign to give you some suggestions, some alternates. Um, I think um, r- practical tips are, if it's at all possible, persuade your producers to let there be a break between the finish of the shoot and the start of the director cut. Mm. So ideally, finish, have a two-week break. If you can fit it around like a summer holiday, or Easter holiday, a Christmas holiday, that's perfect. Uh-huh. Then everybody goes away. Do not watch the film over the Easter over the break. Yep. You know, come back, watch it fresh with your editor. Um, give them notes. Try not to sit on their shoulder. Um I think those are really useful things. Um, if you are very, some some directors are very particular about their music and what they want as guide track. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you're one of those directors, then please give your editor some ideas on that. Because the worst thing is a director who doesn't want any responsibility of telling the editor what to use. The editor puts on a guide track and they go, oh, I hate all that. I don't know. That's not the sort of music I like. Well, you've wasted a lot of your edit time <laughs> and it would have been really useful if you'd narrowed that down before you got into the edit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a useful thing. Gareth does a thing whereby you give you a Spotify playlist mm-hmm. based on scenes. So it'd be the Scarif playlist or mm-hmm. the, you know, you might not end up using any of it in mm-hmm. the finished guide track, but it's a good, at least it's a good starting jumping off point. This is like a film score right now. This is great. Um, what about advice for an editor then? Oh, advice for an editor. The very first thing is there's, there's a guy, an editor called Sam Blingy, and he's got a brilliant book about editing, which is for sale on Amazon. I'd buy that because it's really brilliant in that it discusses the theory of how you edit a scene, but it's incredibly practical. How to lay out your bins, how to set up your project. Mm -hmm. And that is the kind of stuff that junior editors get wrong so often. And the bigger your film, the more it is about data management. And I can send you the link to that and you could link it maybe to this podcast. But that is the book I tell everybody to buy. And it's, I mean, I read it and I was like, this is brilliant. Um, And uh, if you want the psychology book, the Tarek Anwar book about uh Tarek edited the king's speech Mm -hmm. amongst american beauty Mm -hmm. uh and he's written a book which is a kind of a novel whereby he can get around 
being sued for talking about <laughs> his experiences in the edit suite. Oh, wow, interesting. Uh, so you sh- I can't remember the title of it right now, but, it, but it, Tara can why. You can yeah. just look that up. The characters um, in this book are fictitious. Exactly. No one relates to real They might by extreme uh, similarities to Tara Um And... Um, Yes. What, to admit, as far as so, go out, and meet directors, go out to events, go out to have oh, finding work. Sorry, that's I didn't even think that because it's so blindingly obvious that you should be doing all you those think, things. Right? So yeah, absolutely. So here's here's a thing that I think, um, and I know the pressures in the world when you're working on a film, and I know the hours that you work, mm. and I know that means you don't get to sit at home and watch stuff or go to the cinema and watch stuff. You got to do that. Doesn't matter how busy you are, you've got to still keep watching new stuff. So on Rogue, I remember there was one day I came in, I think I came in about six in the morning, might have been eight, but I remember I worked a full day and I worked through the night and I worked till about 11 the next morning. So whatever that was, I mean, 28 hours or something. Mm. And uh, that was to get to a screening and then they went off for a screening with Kathy, but and there was nothing I could do until the next day. So I got on the bus, went up to the Angel and went to watch Marvel Civil War um, <laughs> on my way home because I needed to decompress and watch somebody else's editing yes. before mm. I next got back in an edit suite myself. Mm. Now, for the first 20 minutes of that movie, I was struggling to stay awake because mm. I was in a dark, quiet room. Well, you know, dark room. It wasn't quiet. And then I woke up and I was like, yes, yes. And, and, and I came out and I'd forgotten about our film because that had t- taken me somewhere else. And what I tried to do every night uh, on the film was I'd come out, I hate watching movies on my iPhone. I think it's a real disrespect, but mm. TV shows, I watch TV drama quite happily mm. on my iPhone. It's a big one or an iPad. And again, that's my decompress on the way home, sit down and watch a short drama, a half an hour drama, a 15 minute drama, anything to get your brain away from um, your personal edit, your, the world that you're in. Otherwise, you end up with the dreams that you had mm-hmm. of yeah. thinking you're back you do, on yeah. set because yeah, you you're living your film off. too much. Yeah. Yeah. You've yeah. got to do that. Yeah. No matter if you're working crazy, that's what I think personally mm. you have to do. And as soon as I'm in between jobs, I'm sat down in Leicester Square as often as possible and going to theatres as well mm. to see theatre productions because that gets you back into the world of acting and watching good performance, yes. which you sometimes don't see so much in on-screen stuff. Um I would say that. I would say to editors, listen to as many movie scores, as much music as you can. And I, again, on my, I have my own Spotify playlist, which is, you know, which I just chuck stuff into. Mm. You know, oh, that's a really good quiet track. Because at some point you're going to be in an edit. You're going to be, oh, I need something really good for a ticking time bomb type sequence. What Mm. have I got on my Spotify playlist that I've built up? I'm the same. I I only pretty much listen to uh, film score music and always filtering it off. Because I'm one of the directors that's obsessed about temp score, but I'll give you the whole track. You know, or this section to this section and I'll, you know, because normally, because for your audience, that's going to be predominantly mm. low-budget filmmakers and low-budget editors, and that's essential. On Rogue, we had a guy called John Finkley who was our music editor. Oh my god, yeah. it was the best temp score I've ever heard. I can imagine it was it was incredible. Mm. And uh, you know, after that, I just thought I just wanted to temp track every movie yes. I ever do. And and John was great. In fact, when I went onto the show and I was I temp tracked that myself, and uh, John was off doing a movie, and I really struggled to do this last scene in the film, and I sent him a text and I described the scene to him. I think I actually played him the dialogues down the phone or something mm-hmm. and made an uh, MP3. And he came back with three suggestions and the first one I put it up and it was perfection. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I've been struggling with that for <laughs> weeks. So, yeah. so because he's that's what he does for a living. But, mm. you know, so... Um, 
that I think mm. if you you know as an editor you should be doing that. Mm. In terms of when you're as an editor and as a director, try and show your film when you're editing it to as many people as possible. Yeah, right. Yeah. Send it off to your friends, mm-hmm. and I do that constantly. I, I did couldn't that to on you Star on the Wars, dare, I? but yeah. I will always try and I'll send it off to. Obviously, I've got you know lots and lots of editor friends, mm-hmm. and I will show them the, the film in rough cut process, and in even with I think it's fine cut, I'll say what do you think? Why? Well, where did you get bored? And my golden rule is always this. If you show the film to say 12 people, and if 12 people come back with 12 notes about the film that are all different, feel free to ignore every single one of them. If 12 people come back and six of them say the same thing, you better goddamn address that. You really Mm -hmm. had, because it means you've lost half your audience. You know? Okay, Colin, mm-hmm. fine. You can watch my Star Wars film. I'd love to. <laughs> Which uh, you can, can do it. in two days' time from when well, this comes out. The teaser. The teaser. The teaser. Yeah. Oh, so of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so I, do, I would definitely thing. do that. Yeah, um, and also try and watch your film if it is intended for a cinema audience. Mm-hmm. Watch it on the biggest screen you can. Get a 65-inch TV. If you haven't got a 65-inch TV, which these days is only like about 500 quid for a low-quality one, but is still the impact of what you want. And a low-quality projector, which is still good enough, is 300 quid. So part of your budget, that is minuscule, even on a low-budget movie. And watch that thing and sit as close to that screen as you can, because it will affect how long you hold a wide Mm. shot for. And, and one of my ma- yeah. major revelations to cutting, you know, cutting features is like, firstly, step away from the edit screen. Go watch it somewhere different. Mm. So like, I, my editor upstairs in the attic and I'm working with the editor, so we'd go downstairs, we'll sit in the lounge, we'll stick it on and we'll instantly see something we've never noticed. Absolutely. Because you're just in a different environment. You're so right. And also, seeing something projected it's very different it to is. seeing something on the screen. So that's a brilliant And, and, and sitting yeah. there watching your film with somebody next to you oh, as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was watching. Oh, God, yeah. 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 Instantly, you go, oh, God, that bit's not good. Yeah, Don't yeah. like that bit. I can yeah. sense it. Something yeah, that works like that morning. Mm-hmm. You're watching in the afternoon with somebody sat, sat next, next to you, and you're like, oh, God, that yeah. is too long. Isn't that yeah. weird how that happens? I know. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? So you've got to do that yeah. out there, editors. Network, go to things like the Blue Collar Collective Post thing, which is for people breaking into the industry. Okay. And go to the Make Your Film event, obviously. Yep. Uh, Go to as many film festivals as you can, but don't just go there with your mates try and go I mean go there with mates but but make new mates. It's a great place to network. All I always say network Uh, as much as you can. And if you go out have a reel on your iPhone or your iPad you know a two minute reel Mm. have a business card because people still you know some people you might find that you're standing next to an award winning Hollywood editor of a certain age (laughs) Who doesn't know how to do an airdrop contact? <laughs> but they will take a business card off yeah. of you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, have an up-to-date CV at all times. Don't have a, oh, my that CV's not up-to-date. I'll send you a new one tomorrow. Too late. That door closed. You missed that. Mm. Um, make sure you've got a driver's license. I know not all editors do, because when you're, you're asked to do a location edit, you're stuffed. Yeah. Um, get a really good assistant. Try and get an assistant who knows technically more than you do. Um, And try and keep up with every technical innovation that comes out to do with editing. Try and be aware of technical innovations that are to do with camera and sound. Um, And I think if you can edit on one platform, I genuinely think you can, I believe you can edit on any of them, but try and at least play around with them at some point. So I think it is good to, like the last film I did was on Avid. Um, 
obviously before that was Rogue, which was Avid. The feature I did before that was Final Cut Pro 7 because it had been started by another editor on FCP 7, so I had to take it over on that. I edit it on Lightworks. Monsters was cut on Premiere. I edit stuff even now on my phone on iMovie, even though it's not frame accurate because sometimes I don't need a frame accurate Mm. edit. What I need is to cut together six shots, whack on a bit of music, stick in some titles, send it off as a proof of concept, and I can do that on my phone, on the train, on the way home. Boom, taking care of business. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I love that because it's like, it's not about all of the, having all the fancy tools it's, it's really about not. doing you know the best with what so that you've mean got. you've got 18 hours of rogue one rushes on your phone we can play with <laughs> nope <laughs> <laughs> i think disney would have 20, your phone 25 blown terabytes up. of the alan moore film on my drobo wow. um oh yeah so if you if your people want to know geeky nonsense in the low budget environment so the alan moore film which i just did which was a very low budget bfi movie very very low budget uh so on that i used um a mac tower Mm-hmm. Um, the Coke can, as I call mm-hmm. it, um, 25 terabyte Drobo, uh-huh. yep. um, which we would back up to the cloud to a secure encrypted cloud environment. We'd also keep a copy of the rushes on a separate set of drives as well, but those were just the MXFs, mm-hmm. so we had those. Uh, we would always keep your drives in two different buildings, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, we'd do an upload uh, every night to the cloud of the the current project we yeah. always do that and also my assistant keeps a copy as well um i'd always take a laptop home with me every night with i'd put my avid serial key onto the laptop as i left the building mm-hmm. so that if i had an idea when i was sitting in the room at night i could quickly whack the rushes out uh. on my portable drive have a look at that scene and do a cut on that mm-hmm. i use a vertical mouse which mm-hmm. helps with rsi yeah. Uh, I used to use the gamer mouse that Eddie Hamilton uses, mm-hmm. which is the Razer. Are you a sitter or a stander? I do try and do both. I have a standing desk. Okay. I didn't on that job, but I would still try and stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a standing desk at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Rogue, I had a standing desk. I try and stand for about eight hours a day and then sit for about four, but I'm old. But I would tell my younger self to have done that 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. I've got a Wacom tablet. So I use the Wacom tablet and the vertical mouse and I've got a jog shuttle contour and I try and flip between all Mm. three because if you do that and the keyboard by doing all three you reduce the RSI Mm. RSI comes about if you do any one thing all the time try Mm. and stop doing that if you're not at a standing desk get up every hour and walk out for five minutes Mm. because your health will suffer Mm. long term if you don't Mm. so Mm. I would do that Um, yeah the most important thing is... And he's not written this down, by the way. Like, no, remember... Wait, here we go. Filmmaking is fun. Shit, I keep forgetting. You have to remember <laughs> that. It. You have to. Yeah, you do. My you bank account's not Because we are here <laughs> because we love movies, right? We love movies. We love movies. And make the process of making the film fun. If it's fun for everybody, in, try and encourage your team, your assistants, you know, that it's fun and socialize with them as well. Mm-hmm. And then it's mm. you're making a film with your mates. Mm. Yeah. That's got to be the... And people pay you for it. That's On Origins in Morocco, yeah. I lost all of the crew to sickness, vomiting, diarrhea. I think I was left standing, my exec producer, Gary Cowan. I think a DP, and, but everyone just kept coming back. The drone guys and a few other people went and found a cockroach-ridden hospital and got a drip so they could no. rehydrate and come back the next day. Oh my God. That's how committed they were to the That's film. Incredible. Wow. Um, That's incredible. Wow. Your Star Wars yeah. film. When film, I wow. travel yeah. abroad, my tip on traveling abroad 
is I take in my suitcase a whole load of dry cereal bars because you know you're going to get sick. Yeah. And when you do get sick, when you start to recover and you want to start eating again, you know you've got stuff that you brought over with you that's all sealed in that a vacuum like. environment yeah. that you like. It's got sugar mm. in it as well to help with build, build mm. the electrolytes and all that. And I, I carry that. I did that to Mexico where we got all got, we all got sick in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that in Bulgaria. I did that in Tunisia. And every time you get sick and every time you've got that stuff ready to help, you. Perfect. Great advice. I was lucky in Bulgaria. I didn't get sick there at all. Oh. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because I'm vegan. I don't know. Humble brag. In there. <laughs> humble. I, this well, podcast says humble, so you know I, what I, mean? I brought interest. back E. coli from my suit. Why did you do that? Because <gasps> I, I got, I caught E. coli. I'm a vegetarian. I don't know. Why. And, and I got wow. E. coli. Yeah. So I got, yeah, that suit was all coming soon. <laughs> all coming soon coming on your soon behind the, the scenes, scenes and, and by the way you can see Phil's behind the scenes your YouTube channel is fantastic that Thank tells you. the story of how you made this film and uh, Orange is an ongoing YouTube documentary which is uh, descends into directing geekery even into pre-vising and, and storyboarding and how I'm putting the film together so that's mm-hmm. all leading up to release and so, where can they where can they watch that please uh, Phil the, uh, on my YouTube channel is called The Film Blog but if you go on The Film Blog spelled P-H-I-L-M blog.com that'll take you straight to YouTube I'll put a link up thank you there you go there is lots of behind the scenes on the dvd and blu-ray of monsters of how we made the film gareth did the I've vfx so people that haven't seen that there's yeah. that's I've a really seen good you and him the edit room and i've seen all that it's brilliant it's brilliant the bts brilliant. fans out there yeah i can it's i can second really, that it's, it's really amazing cool yeah. it's, it's up there with the fincher um yeah uh, panic room releases one. oh god yeah, yeah that's the thing that gareth likes to do which is really interesting is gareth watches films with the sound turned down yeah um, okay. He does that to see if he can follow the story without hearing the dialogue. Ah, if, and nice, therefore, yeah. from that, you learn what visual things are telling mm. the story. Because both, as we know, your audio... Uh, what I used to do, funnily enough, was the opposite. I used to record movies uh, onto old audio cassettes back in the day mm. from the audio out on my VHS and play them in my car as I was driving <laughs> around. So I would listen to the audio side of a movie to see how much of it you could learn the plot without seeing the visuals he does it the other way around amazing you know and I think those are all really interesting techniques the other thing that's good to do if you've never done it is to rip a movie and recut it Mm. Uh, fan edit yeah do a fan edit of a movie and when you do that it's fascinating because you start to look at other edits and I've looked and obviously I was doing a lot when I was doing the the Rogue one Mm. and I'd look at Star Wars especially has a huge history of fan edits yeah Yeah. it totally does Um, and the not only the fan edit but also the um, the Star Wars uncut the the, the fan version of that both of those four and five are worth watching Mm. Um, and um you can, and I will look at scenes on major Hollywood movies, and I think they crossed the line, but they didn't need to, because there's, that scene's completely neutral. You could flop every other shot. Suddenly, the eye lines are right. There's nobody's t-shirts are now reading the wrong way round. Mm-hmm. You know, you spot it when they do it on Star Trek in the old episodes because the badge flips yeah, from one side to the yes. other. You know, but yeah. it's like if you can get around that and the hair's okay and yeah. all the rest of it, you can flop that. And yeah. why didn't they? Because yeah. the grammar, the filmic grammar of two characters speaking together is still better if you don't cross the line. Totally. You know, there are times when you want to cross the line because you want to give that impression of. Um, confusion in yeah. a character and that's when you cross the line yes. to confuse your audience the same way the the character is confused mm-hmm. but don't if you if you can have two people looking at one another you should do that yeah. and it's just poor film grammar to not do that mm. um yeah so to doing a doing a fa- and it doesn't have to be the whole movie Did the just line the scene. exist in monsters or rogue one 
There wasn't. The line there was, was, a, no, was a circle. There was no. There was a we, circle of truth. Just <laughs> point the we the decided <laughs> that there was. We couldn't obey the the line in yeah. in monsters. It was impossible. But then it doesn't. But that's the style of the film. Yeah, it know? totally was. Yeah. It totally was. Uh, Rogue. We tried to follow the line a bit. Well, I did. Well, in the dialogue I know scenes, that, I'd imagine. You know. Other, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I really tried to do it in the dialogue yeah. scenes. I always do. Um, and interestingly enough, the the hologram scene. Talking about that. I had to edit that scene together before they shot Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. Interesting. Because it all had to be worked out before you do the 360 rotate. I see. So Felicity so, Jones is just staring at an empty space. She is staring at a ball. Yeah. There's nothing that there. That takes good acting. She's staring at a tracking, a lo- a literally a piece of um, fishing line or whatever. It was a li- little tiny dot on it mm. to get a tracking point for them to put it on afterwards but yeah she's brilliant she is brilliant i mean in a lot of it's interesting because gareth loves to do the build as much of the set as you possibly can mm-hmm. and then as you do more and more pickups you get reduced more and more to oh, it's just against a blue screen yeah. you know like all the vader scenes are just gareth filming that's all against green screen yes. all of those vader scenes wow. uh, apart from the corridor the, the end one they they built the corridor i tell, will tell you quickly an interesting story about that yeah. um so i think that was the last thing we filmed and it was down at Pinewood, and at that point we were editing in Soho. We went down to Pinewood to watch that, and um, pitch black set, as you know, the red lightsaber comes on, and the first thing that strikes you is, that lightsaber's not long enough. And of course it's not, because when you're acting those scenes, you don't slice through the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. You miss them because your lightsaber's Anymore. not long enough. <laughs> and then ILM will CGI on the lightsaber being longer. And that's how he cuts through the ceiling and all mm-hmm. that. But that's the very first thing that comes to mind. Anyway, so Gareth did about, I don't know, 12 takes of that shot of the red lightsaber. And then, uh, in between setups, Peter Jackson arrived. As because Peter obviously knows Jabez. And right. Jabez was there on set. I was there on set. And um, and John Gilroy was on another set doing some pickup inserts. And um, <laughs> um, and um, Tony was off in LA, I think. And um, uh, Peter Jackson came over and stood next to the monitors. And I had seen that red lightsaber come on at this point 12 times. So I watched Peter Jackson instead. Mm. And that red lightsaber came on and Peter Jackson's face just lit up. It was literally like... As all of us did. when he did that, I knew if that's impressive to somebody like Peter Jackson, Mm -hmm. then the audience is going to love it. Because if you can wow him, you can wow anybody, right? Because he's seen it all. So, uh, yeah, that was a a defining moment of knowing it was going to work. And that whole corridor, that whole scene of Vader, Mm -hmm. that was all Jabez's idea. Really? Was that was all I heard Jabez. a rumour about that yeah. and I was going to ask. During yeah, the wow. edit, we were editing and we always wanted more Vader in the film mm. and we could never work out how to fit him in mm. and all the rest of it. And Jabez came into the edit suite one day and he said to me, I worked out how to get Vader in. What he should do is at the end, he should go over in his ship and he should go and he should fight his way onto the bridge mm. and he should lightsaber his way mm. on and he should grab Radus. Yeah. And he should like he'd be going, you know, where are the plants of the Death Star? And you can see the Tanty <laughs> Four going off. And he should say, You're too late. Mm. And I was like, that is brilliant. So he went, really? I was like, it's genius. Yeah. And he goes, okay. And he went off and he pitched it to Kathy. And then Kathy 
you know, Gareth, everybody's like, genius. Uh, and so Gareth then changed it to mm-hmm. the scene as exists so that Gareth could be the person who releases yeah, the Tantive so Four, for those a, of you who don't yeah, know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Therefore kicking total, off the original trilogy. That's right. He's, yeah. It's all yeah. down to him. He's retconned himself. And that's, as I say, it's, it's people taking ideas from anybody. Mm. That was, you know, Jabez's brilliant genius idea that then went into the melting pot and got mm-hmm. slightly changed and stuff and that's and one of the greatest scenes in the it's modern the, Star the best, Wars it's one of the best know. scenes in the movie yeah. love that scene yeah, it's I, great. I still it's wear my favourite scene in the movie always gets a but, smile from everyone yeah. who's watching yeah. it yeah. 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 And this sometimes is what, I can put that on just watch that couple of minutes just to feel good about myself really yeah just Darth what, Vader wasting yeah, some dudes yeah. <laughs> 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 him up slice him down do you take them do you put your helmet on and put your lightsaber in your hand yeah I bet you do are you doing that Vader scene again yeah. I, I thought you were going to say, uh, did Peter Jackson ask, can I get in the suit for one of the takes? <laughs> um, so I'd edited the scene on the beach um, mm-hmm. with Cassian and Jin. Yeah. And then, and funnily enough, actually, when I cut that, I... The final scene. Yeah. I, I temp that, ironically, with Michael Giacchino's score from Lost. Oh, and this was like wow. a year early. This, this was a year before, before you came on board. And that was, that was, a, that yeah. was like 11 months before yeah. Michael came on board. And it always... And people always said to me that always made them well up and yeah. they cried and all the rest of it. That's why I love it. But what was interesting was it wasn't intercut. And it was John Gilroy that came up with the idea of intercutting it. And I remember Tony coming in to me one day and he said, so John's going to intercut that. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to destroy my scene. And uh, he goes, no, but it really works with the music and what Fink mm. is doing with the music and all the rest of it. And I looked at it, it was like, oh God, that is so much better. That yeah. is brilliant. So it was one of those things again that everybody's throwing in ideas mm-hmm. and saying, let's try this. And that's how filming should be, that collaborative yeah. process. Yeah. And often yeah. within filming, it, it Cannot be because you can get insular and get lost in it. But actually, it's brilliant when you're not precious about it. Yeah. I mean, look, that idea is really good and this works. Yeah. It's great. Can I ask I, one more Star Wars geeky question yeah. before you kick Got me one out? One more time, yeah. Um, yeah. On Scarif. Yes. <laughs> was the data vault. Was that originally in a different location than the Citadel Tower? You can cut this out. No. Uh, um, which data vault? Uh, <laughs> you say this, but your viewership of Star Wars fans has just gone up based yeah. on this question. <laughs> they won't listen uh, to any more podcasts, but. Because <laughs> there's all the you know, yeah. the original stuff so, and them running on the beaches yeah. and she was holding the vault in yeah. one of the trailers. So yeah. was it in a different place? Uh, so here's the thing about that entire movie is that um, when you say it was in a different it was it was so many different versions of that movie going back to script stage. Yes. So for me, it wasn't a case of were there, are there two versions of Rogue One? No, there's mm. 20. Yeah. True. Because I remember a totally different version with a totally different ending mm-hmm. that was only ever in Gary's original draft. Right. Yeah. And then the next draft, it was like, oh, that's all totally changed. Yeah. And then there was another version. And then there was the previous version, mm-hmm. which was completely different again. So each one of these things came in. And they're what? So yes, is the answer to your question. Mm-hmm. But yes, in totally different places yeah, throughout various tra- different so there you go, Star Wars fans. Just because it was so, in the trailer doesn't yeah. mean that there everyone changed their shots. mind suddenly. That's right. And there were also shots in the trailer yeah. that were filmed for no reason yeah. whatsoever. In the and were filmed hour, just for. Gareth yeah. would shoot stuff and he'd say, I've no idea where it's going. There's a shot in the trailer where Jin's in the vault and she turns around. Yeah, and the lights go on. <laughs> That's just because Gareth saw the lights go on when yeah. Felicity was stood there and he went. 
Shoot that. Film it. Oh, do that again. Mm. I want to film it. Mm. No idea where it's going to go. Yeah. And then the trailer people saw it and they're yeah. like, that's going in the trailer because yeah. we don't cut the trailer. No. The and that shot- came out way before the film would oh, finished. Yeah. Right. The shot of the TIE fighter was the trailer. That was never made for us. Yeah. The trailer people made that up and they put it in the trailer and we were like, <laughs> Because, wow. Because people uh, right. <laughs> so, but that's what happens. And I think in a way, it's the, the, the reason behind that, there's a, there's, a, there's a logic which is, did you want to go and see Rogue One knowing everything about the film? Or did you want to have some prizes? Mm. Therefore, if you are sent down a wrong path on a trailer, mm. does that make the rest of the film more mm. of a surprise to you? Well, you know, Do you know that's what I, mean? what I loved so, about the Force of Vegas trailer when it was making out Finn to be, you know, the, the, the Jedi. Yeah, right. totally. It was right. brilliant misdirection. Yeah. And you went to see the film, yeah. you went, oh, that was yes. so clever. Exactly. You didn't go, oh my God, yes. they must have reshot this. Yeah. And it was no, a mistake. I'm and, listening to all you Star Wars fan blogger people. And, hang on, you just got them on side, now you've taken them well, off side. <laughs> Whenever I do a trailer for anything, and this is pretty way back before my Star Wars days, I used to often cut the trailers because no money. Mm. And um, I will always in a trailer try and completely misdirect. Mm. Always put in a shot of somebody who gets killed early in the film, yeah, yeah, yeah. right at the end of the trailer. Yeah. So it looks like they're it's, alive much later. Fun. Because like, I don't want the audience to see yeah, the, the, trailer the film should, before they see the, the trailer film. should be its own thing really it yeah. should be its own piece like the really best trailer of all time is the Close Encounters of the Third Kind trailer which is a road with a camera dollying mm. down a road there's nothing there's nothing else on it it's, there's yeah, an, yeah. I saw that trailer I wanted to go and see the movie the second best trailer of all time is The Shining it's blood coming out of a lift maybe we want oh, to go and see that movie yeah. the original you know. Star Wars trailer as well was just that logo right, that voice right oh, yeah. the tease yeah, yeah, yeah that got yeah. the hype yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been amazing sorry we've waffled. don't be sorry Why this has been the I'm best sure I haven't thing. answered any of your this questions this could be the longest podcast ever oh, I'm so Rob, sorry Robbie's got to edit this but I don't even care it's all good there should be a part one and it's like a Star Wars like special so um, where can people follow you where can they find Thank you I can't find me anywhere I love that on, I no, am, seriously, I am just... not on social media. Well, I am on Facebook but just for people that I know like and uh, exactly we're friends uh, I love it and uh, I have no other social media <laughs> I don't have nothing Instagram I don't have Twitter I'm afraid yeah. um, but people can check I'm you out on IMDB and yeah, see I've your got credits an idea. I've got an IMDB pro yeah. uh, uh, page so they can s- laugh at pictures of me in a kilt next week, <laughs> next week. Uh, and my teddy bear and uh, yeah uh, yeah. unfortunately that's about it but I'm I'm around and you know if I'm at film festivals come up to me at the bar say hi that's yeah. what people do yeah, uh, and the next job I may do is literally a director that I met in a bar at film festival and I chatted to him right. and then um, you know we discussed his film at great length and then about a year later he emailed me and said I found out who you are <laughs> and I'd like you to read the script for my yeah. next film no way yeah is that how you get work is through it's usually I just work with the same people who fortunately keep asking me back and And then what happens is I will usually what happens is a director will hire me for a film I will meet a producer they get very suspicious because they think I'm the director's editor Mm. which I am but they will learn during the process of the edit that I'm also a producer's editor because I'm a team editor I want what's best for the film so then what happens is the next film they will hire a different director but the producer will invite me and then the director is suspicious because they think I'm the (laughs) producer's editor and then when I work with them they realise I'm working for the best of the Mm. film and then they will hire me on to the next and I leapfrog like that on every project 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, for those who've stuck with us, and this was probably a two-parter, I imagine one go out Tuesday, and I imagine the second part now will be Friday. So if you haven't watched my teaser by then, where yeah. have you been? Yeah, so now you can watch yeah. Phil's teaser. This is like this we've is, jumped just, time. It's a shame sorry. on you if you haven't watched it yet. So, Phil, yeah, the Star Wars fan film Origins, will you be able to watch it now? Yes. The link will be in the you, second yes. show notes so you there think, you go please please do very exciting very exciting uh, you can see the dare trailer now it, the link is in the show notes but that is out and obviously Woo. if you want to hear about our uh, film festival world premiere then you can on last week's podcast and don't forget 24th of September is Fright Fest the world premiere of A Serial Killer's Guide to Life that I was lucky enough to produce and the 3rd of September come and join us for Make Your Film Colin Gowdy this has been amazing thank you so much thank you thank you, um, thank you for letting me waffle with absolute pleasure you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod you can follow me at Giles Alderson Robbie where can they follow you you can follow me at Robbie McCain on Twitter amazing Phil I'm at Phil M blog there you go uh, and remember if you're lucky enough Good to rise up and do well it's your duty to send the, the elevator, elevator back, back down. down yes absolutely I'm Right, yeah. I do that on the podcast all the time well, when I'm just, walking my dog I just sit out there you just mouth it yeah, yeah. as a Giles is saying it especially in our you know very humble opinion yeah I love that oh, yeah. I'm a fangirl yay um, so thank you for listening remember you can go out and make your film whatever advice you got from today please go on to Apple Podcasts give us a nice review and share this with your friends that's how we build Wow, this has been one of the best podcasts I've sat, had the privilege of sitting so in good. and listening <laughs> It's been so good. Well done, guys. Thank you, everyone. Take care, everyone. See you next Tuesday. May the force be with you.